Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Build a better business, be a better architect. A profitable business will give you the funding, the flexibility, and the freedom to become that architect you want to be. And we can help. Download our free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, at entrearchitect.com slash free course. You are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, and this is episode 194. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. I am often asked by students or young architects with an idea that, that might change the world in some big or small way, how, how, how they might start a charity, a, a nonprofit organization that serves their community or serves the world at large. What's the first step? How do you obtain funding to launch and, and plant that seed of an idea and have it sprout into full blossom? And once you get it successfully started serving the needs of others, how do you keep it growing into an organization that might bear fruit for generations to come? This week, we dive into answering some of those questions in this episode at Entree Architect Podcast, launching and growing an architecture charity with azuko.org. This 
This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, FreshBooks, Core by BQE Software, RCAT, and Charette Venture Group. And I'm going to share a little bit more about these great companies and organizations later in the show. But as we get started here, just take a quick note right now, just note it down to go share some time this week to go visit each one of them and let them know that you appreciate them supporting us here at the Entree Architect community. Joe Ashbridge and Nathan Ardais, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Thanks. It's great. It's great to have you both here. Let me just tell our listeners uh, who you are and what you do. Azuko, you are both from Azuko. Azuko, uh, A-Z-U-K-O, is an architecture charity. They work alongside disadvantaged communities to create culturally sensitive design solutions from housing, sanitation, and infrastructure to play in public space. Their projects address the real needs of communities they work with. Through extensive research, Azuko provides insight into current living conditions, offers a vision for the future, and supports local communities to better their own environments. Their work is currently based in the UK, Bangladesh, and China. And Joe Ashbridge is the director of Azuko, and Nathan Ardais is the design researcher. And so we have them here. I, this is, uh, I, uh, I'm excited about this conversation. Uh, but before we get into any sort of depth of what Azuko is and how they serve the world, uh, I'd love to sort of go back to your stories individually uh, and hear about who you are, where you came from, and sort of what brought you to where you are today. So, Joe, why don't you start uh, with your origin story, go back to what uh, inspired you to follow the path that you have and give us that that journey to where you find yourself today. And then we'll go on to Nathan. Sure. How far to go back, really? <laughs> as far back as you feel comfortable going back. What what inspired you to to uh, architecture? Yeah, um, I'd say it was my father. If if we can go before architecture school, yeah. Um, uh, he he's a welder in the north of um, England, um, and he's a real maker. And we were always making things together, building small um, models of ships, um, building stuff for the garden. Um, and we had, you know, a, a real synergy there. And I think after school, I wanted to go into making, but didn't know exactly what that would be or what vocation that was. Um, I can't quite remember how it happened, but I ended up in architecture school, um, <laughs> not, not not having any architects or um, engineers um, in the family. So I was a little bit, I felt a little bit out of my depth in the beginning. Um, although I knew I wanted to make things with my hands, and I had a sort of, I, I had a sort of design thinking um, approach to things. So yeah, that's how I ended up in, in architecture school in um, Bath University, which led on to um, to Cambridge University. Um, and in some ways, well, it was amazing for many reasons. I loved being part of studio in that environment, but in, in some ways I felt a little bit um, out of place. Um, I wasn't necessarily working on projects that I was super passionate about. Um, and in my summer, I ended up um, going to volunteer in Vietnam. My dad had come back, we had come back for summer actually, and my dad had come back from one of his uh, trips abroad and I was doing some sketching uh, on a drawing board and he said, you know, do you, do you know how that roof's actually made? I mean, it's a nice drawing, but do you know how it's put together? Um, 
and of course I didn't, I've never worked on a construction site before. And he said, before you go any further, before you go back to your fourth year, you need to go and work in construction to understand the craftsmanship. Um, and I guess I, I, I think he thought I was going to stay in the UK. I, I booked a plane and I ended up in Vietnam. And a little, and, uh, backfired uh, the on him a little, little bit. bit history. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it spirals out of control. I kept going further love, and further. Love, love you, Dad. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Come with me. No thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, and a little bit. The rest is history. I, I sort of found myself in the world of international development, particularly in the shelter sector. And I felt really comfortable there. I felt free. I felt I was working on things that were meaningful to me um, that could have great impact. I could use my skills for for, for the good of, of people that rarely have access to it. Um, and I traveled I traveled that path uh, for a little further, um, working for various nonprofits in various countries um, on various projects. Um, and then Azuka sort of formed out of that my learnings from working with those nonprofits, um, a passion for grassroots development, um, as well as a little bit of serendipity, meeting the right people and having the right conversations and um, people wanting to help us set up. Talk a, bit, a little bit, Joe, about, about what Azuko is and, and what it does sort of as a, as, at a base level. Yeah, so we are an architecture charity. Um, sometimes people struggle a little when we when we define ourselves as that. Usually the terms architecture and charity don't go well together. <laughs> um, so we're a nonprofit that supports people to improve their living conditions. Um, so we work in the realm of the built environment and we work on real community needs. So we like to think we're, we're designers that continue to sit around the table with you, um, irrespective of what the end product might be. So although we, we call ourselves an architecture charity, we don't always result in a built solution, um, but we essentially work with communities to support them to improve their living conditions. Um, and we work with a section of society that really has access or can afford architectural services. Awesome. I, and I want to get into how you started and, and how you get funded and how, you know, because that's the conversation that I'd love to have because I get that conversation. I get that question a lot here at Entree Architect. You know, I have this this dream of changing the world and I want to do this as a nonprofit. How do I go about doing that? So so before we get into that, I want to hear Nathan's story. And then I want to talk about how Azuko, you know, how, how what was the seed of Azuko and, and how did you get it started and launched off the ground? So Nathan, Tell us yeah. your story about, you know, uh, how you got started. Mm, yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks for having us, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I, I love these uh, these kind of discussions of of causation. How do you how do people end up how they are? I, I, I think I grew up in a very uh, warm, familial environment. I, it was, I grew up in a my my mom had seven. Uh, siblings and I had 20 cousins and I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and I yeah like I said I just I recall a lot of warmth and a lot of uh, openness and uh, uh, it was a very kind of hospitable environment and I think uh, from a young age um, was was taught a lot about uh, empathy and about um, and about other people's experience and about um, openness and I, I also I grew up in the Silicon Valley, well, what is now the Silicon Valley, um, and also a very diverse place. And um, so I think 
from a young age, I felt like I was going to be working with people or working um, not not necessarily just for money. And I think eventually was introduced to a lot of um, different different interests and types of work, everything from um, education and pedagogy and working with young people and mentorship, um, uh, particularly with socially disadvantaged groups, uh, worked uh, with, a, with a charity in San Francisco for some time. Um, it was a mentoring program there. I also um, have a bit of a background in education in um, sustainability and sustainability kind of in its greater definition. And during that time, which I was in my master's program, I, I think I was probably much more interested in, in social psychology, uh, uh, behavioral economics, behavioral psychology, uh, the, the design process, um, how people behave, um, in the, in the research that goes into that and, uh, how you start to form designs or what, where designs come from. And that kind of led, that led me to, uh, leading groups and facilitate training and facilitation, um, doing bits of communication as well and writing, writing for a magazine and, um, and then eventually just wanted to, wanted to focus on, on serving people really. And, um, and again, I think that kind of just comes from this, uh, this experience in an, in an immigrant household and, uh, one that was very warm and, uh, just served people, constantly served people. And, um, so the, the Zuko has been a really kind of serendipitous mixture of all those things that I'd been working on and interested in, um, and yeah, had, at some point, I think I had found some real interest in urban design. And um, there's some really wonderful examples in London that I that I had come across as well, uh, kind of mixed use spaces, uh, some stuff that Ben Hamilton Bailey does uh, in particular, and an interest in um, anti-fragility and uh, how people, how you can Im imagine spaces or imagine cities for people for them to thrive. And I think... Um, the opportunity to work uh, in space or in the built environment, I think, was always interesting for me. And again, Azuko was kind of a really lovely melding of all those things. And how did you how did you get hooked up with Azuko? I mean, how did you make because you you, you Twitter were, you were in the U.S. <laughs> and Azuko is in, I didn't mention this in it, but it may be obvious by this point. But Azuko is in the U.K. And so how did how did that happen? So it was a Twitter connection. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I'd actually come to London um, to do a, a, a fellowship here in social entrepreneurship. And I, I'm, I was thinking about kind of doing my own thing. Um, but yeah, I actually just came across Azuko on Twitter. And like I said, the this bit of work was was kind of forming over three years, I think, whatever this role was. I probably I didn't know about it beforehand, but it was uh, like I said, it was something that I just kind of been slowly working towards, and this it just happened to be uh, a, a really wonderful mix of all those things. And then, so you you were in London, right? Is that what you just said? Yeah, the so yeah the so the fellowship was in London. Yeah, yeah. I I lived in San Francisco for three years before that, and it, it was doing like I said a collection of all those things here and there. And then, so you just you just met up and connected and talked about what Azuko does and felt that it was a good place for you to be how did how did you how did that connection happen yeah so i just i i saw the the opportunity to work with azuko and 
Um, actually, I had written it in my in my letter to Joe. Um, but I had this really uh, serendipitous ex- exchange with a with a with a man at a cafe, a cafe that I frequented in East London, and um, we just had a really intimate discussion about um, about understanding people's experiences and um, how oftentimes you don't you don't know what people are going through. And mm-hmm. he, t- he talked about forgiveness, and he talked about um, he talked about a process by which you you go about. Uh, changing things and changing yourself and it um um and actually the guy was the guy was an alcoholic um and he just told me about his process of recovery and what it meant to him and i i basically just i basically just explained that conversation um in my letter to joe uh, and and it just felt like um yeah, like I said, not understand, not necessarily always understanding people's experiences, but being open to listening to, to, um, to empathize with them as as being the kind of basis for quality design, and also um, not not bringing your own biases and not bringing your own um, your own assumptions about people, um, because it's easy to judge someone who, who says that they're an alcoholic, and it's uh, anyways, it, it's, it's a bit more descriptive than that, but um, it was just quite a um, it was just, it was quite, uh, an apt yeah. conversation that it had that led to this discussion with Joe. Yeah. you it looked, it sounds like your path was leading to a Zuko and you just needed to keep following that path. And, mm-hmm. and your friend was a, a guide along your path and said, keep going. Yeah. 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 It was, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. I love that story. Yeah. I mean, we were reaching out to, to, to bring someone else on. When I say we, I was the only full-time member of staff, but of course we have a board of trustees um, and volunteers and supporters in, uh, that, that help us in different ways. But we were looking for another full-time member of staff to, to join um, and we had a specific project in mind. Um, and when this sort of cover letter or introduction to another human came in, um, <laughs> it felt like a, well, it was different for a start, which took our attention, but it also felt like a really great fit. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. It sounds like you were meant for one another, so that's that's, that's good. <laughs> I try to t- I tell her that every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just helped you re- reinforce that. I, it's um, let's let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Azuko itself. Uh, let's start with the name because it's a very interesting name, and you have some capital letters in there. So, can you mm-hmm. explain what Azuko is and and you know what why that name? Yeah, it means um, all of humanity in a, a, a an endangered language in central central northern congo um and it's an endangered language because it's not a written language mm-hmm. um so like many um tribal or vulnerable languages it will likely um disappear eventually and with it um you know understanding of culture um but it's also quite an inclusive term you know, that we think you know, summed up what we were trying to do, getting everyone around the table and, and, and achieving this design democracy. Um, so we sort of pushed the words together. So if you understand the intonation, it, it almost feels like two separate words. So we pushed the two words together, but kept the capital K to, to reflect that um, true intonation of how it is um, spoken in, in the DRC. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, FreshBooks, Core by BQE Software, Arcat, and Charette Venture Group. FreshBooks makes it simple 
to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. My absolute favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I love this. I think sending invoices and getting paid is one of those, those barriers to our success as entrepreneur architects. Who has time, right? But if we don't get out the invoices, then we don't get paid, right? Well, FreshBooks makes it easy to send out your invoices and get paid online with a click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, FreshBooks will send them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you control. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access FreshBooks for free and be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. One of the most often requested resources here at the Entree Architect community is project management software. How do we keep our projects and all our people organized while we grow as entrepreneur architects? BQE Core revolutionizes the way architects manage projects, time and expenses, billing and accounting. Made by BQE, the company behind ArchiOffice, Core saves you time while giving you the visibility, flexibility, and the power you need to grow your firm. Work from anywhere, seamlessly collaborate, and gain transformative insights with Core's groundbreaking platform. Listeners here at the Entree Architect podcast can get a free 15-day trial of Core at entrearchitect.com BQE. If you've been listening to this podcast anytime during the past few months, you've heard me talking about my friends, RCAT, and hopefully you've been using their free resources on a regular basis. But for those of you who have not yet checked them out, go check them out. RCAT is a great tool for us small firm architects. RCAT has a huge library of free content, CAD, BIM, specifications, and more. And they've done all the work for you. If you need a spec, click on over, download the CSI three-part specification in multiple file formats. You need a CAD file or a BIM object, it's all free, just click the mouse. RCAT has tons of building product content ready for you to use, and it's all completely free. You don't even have to register to download the content. Visit our friends over at RCAT at entrearchitect.com slash RCAT, that's A-R-C-A-T, entrearchitect.com slash RCAT, and let them know that we sent you right here from the Entree Architect podcast. Charette Venture Group invests in small to mid-sized architecture firms. Listen up, that's you. Their goal is to create action behind your aspirations. CVG seeks architect clients with a passion for growth and a dedication to becoming a stronger business. Entree Architect is an investment partner with CVG, so I know firsthand how their support has transformed my business and my life. We also have several members inside the Entree Architect Academy who are also investment partners with CVG, and it is truly a pleasure to watch these firms grow and thrive. The team over at Charette Venture Group is ready to help take your architecture firm to the next level. Your firm is unique, but your challenges aren't. Charette Venture Group can help. To schedule a free consultation with Charette Venture Group or to take their free architect business assessment, 
to see exactly where you stand as a business. Visit them today at entrearchitect.com slash CVG. FreshBooks, BQE Software, RCAT, and Charette Venture Group. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So let's let's talk about how how you got started. How you know? So Joe, you had this. You were traveling, uh, doing working with a lot of other um, nonprofits and 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 serving the communities, and then Azuko came along. And and so how how did how did that? What 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 was the seed first of all mm-hmm. of Azuko, and how did you make that seed sort of grow into a real organization? Mm. Um. Uh, difficult one. <laughs> At the time, I was working um, and living in Bangladesh, um, supporting a local shelter nonprofit there, who we continue to work with now. Um, and we were built. We were sort of researching earth and architecture, and um, the, the, the successes, but also the challenges of the mis- this material in Bangladesh and in South Asia. Um, and we had sort of a pot of funding for a year to undertake this research, and we were coming to the, towards the end of um, uh, the research project, but we felt we had so much more to do. Um, one aspiration was that we wanted to really test out our, our ideas and our learnings. So I came back to the UK um, and um, spoke to a few people about it, and we ended up having a really wonderful um, a cup of tea with the um, architecture, traditional architecture practice called Rider. Um, I knew them from back in the day. I'm, I'm, I'm a Geordie. I'm from Newcastle, the north of England, and their um, their headquarters is in Newcastle. Um, and they said, you know, we're, we're interested. We're interested. Um, we don't know what this will be yet. Um, can we can we come along with you? Um, and we sort of said we sort of said yes. We didn't know what it would be at the, at the start. So those conversations led to more conversations, uh, led to talking to other people about what potential business models that would be. Um, and we ended up believing that w- what we wanted to be was a charity so that we could really focus our efforts on supporting those that typically can't afford design services. Um, and yeah, they helped us. They helped sort of to fund us for a while until we until we can set up. And now they're um, our patron. So, um, so go ahead. Carry on. Uh, no, just to say, um, if, if you're interested in, in charitable structures, we're, we're set up as a charitable incorporated organization, the CIO, which is um, a structure in the in the UK, similar to a company limited by guarantee, but um, for charities. Um, so gives you a lot of freedom in, in many ways, but also has a lot of reporting that comes along with it. So Ryder gave you some financial support to get started, some sort of, you know, Correct. resources. Um, and so, and that was, that was a relationship, a previous relationship that you had with them. So you went to them and said, Hey, I have this idea where, are you interested in sort of helping us get this off the ground? Is it, was that the conversation you had? A, a little, I mean, I, I, we knew each other because, um, when I was younger going through architecture school, I had a three month placement mm-hmm. and they're quite, um, an important architecture firm in the Northeast of England. They're well, very well known. Um, and so we knew each other from those days. And uh, we ended up having a conversa- a cup of tea talking about many things. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go into it um, with a pitch. Yeah. I wasn't expecting okay. to set up an organization. Maybe maybe further down my career, that, that would have been an intention, but it certainly wasn't something I, I had planned for. So you're talking um, about life. 
I'm to- yeah, I'm talking about taking the of, opportunity yeah, <laughs> yeah. when it was presented. Yeah. yeah, and running with it. Uh, I had a bit of freedom at that time, um, uh, you know, in, in terms of life. Um, I was between projects potentially. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a mortgage. Uh, I just had my backpack, so I, I could I could ride the wave a little bit. Yeah, it's because that, that that's always the hardest part, right? Is getting started, whether it's a nonprofit or or somebody launching their own architecture firm. You know that first step of going from <laughs> an idea or a dream to actually <laughs> making it reality, and I think that first step is actually committing to it and say, "Okay, I'm going to do this." Now I have to figure out how to do it. Yes. Well, I think the interesting thing too about that story is that Joe, you'd already been working in that community for some time, which eventually became the foundation for Zuko, anyways, right? Yeah, correct. I'd been living in. Um, a village which and uh, and a district in Bangladesh um, on and off for two and a half years um, and uh, worked different parts of the country as well so I felt like I was embedded there I worked for the local our partner um, for a local shelter organization um, for over a year um, so it was a real natural fit one of the things we really champion is that um, we work in and through local organizations, trusted organizations within communities. Um, so th- this this sort of connection already made a lot of sense. Uh, we 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 didn't have a name. We didn't all we didn't have our chargeable structure, but we had projects already on the table. <laughs> okay. The the um, can you can you give us like a concrete example of one project that you that you um, have done? Just so we can kind of get a sense of of the type of work that that Azuko is doing. Do, do you want a completed bit of work? Well, <laughs> it, you... it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just just sort of so we can get a you know a a, a you know real life example mm-hmm. of what you're doing, whether it's something that's in the works now or something that's completed and you see some yeah. results. Sure, we have been working with and continue to work with um, a community of about 250 people in an urban informal settlement in the northwest of Bangladesh, uh, a community um, in an area called Jogambabumat. And the idea is um, that we're supporting the community uh, with incremental slum upgrading works um, over a long period of time. We, we work in, in, the, in the sort of world of development rather than aid. So we, we, we sort of invest our time and commit to a long-term process. Um, and we've been working, well, I've been working with the community before Azuko started, but we continue to work um, with the community as Azuko uh, on a number of projects. Um, uh, double-story bamboo houses, the first sort of double-story um, structures in that community. Um, greening initiatives to green public space. We've recently just finished a communal sanitation facility, and um, but what we, one of the interesting things about this project is is not necessarily the built solutions, which do in themselves improve living conditions and well-being, um, but also that we try to support communities in terms of capacity building, offering training throughout that project process, understanding of the design, um, uh, empowerment. So we help to facilitate a democratic. Um, election to form a new committee and those individuals re- represent the community throughout the design process. They then um, are supported to um, site manage and um, to uh, construct the buildings themselves and in this way that when we step away from the project when things um, break when there are maintenance needs because no bu- building is maintenance free the community themselves can um, 
go to market, buy the right products, barter for the right cost, um, complete the um, remedial works themselves. And hopefully the, the overall aim is that, you know, we put ourselves out of a job and they continue to develop with, without us really because they have the skills um, to do so. Yeah, and that's so important, right, to, to go in there and not just fix their problems and then walk away and mm -hmm. then they end up with a bigger problem than they started with. <clears throat> Correct. I mean, the, we've just finished a, a communal sanitation facility, but we're inhabiting an existing building that used to be a communal sanitation facility um, 15, 16 years ago. Um, this, this area that they live on was reclaimed land um, and uh, non-profits, um, wonderful non-profits, uh, supported them to, 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 to sort of build basic infrastructure. Um, but our understanding of that was they were sort of these buildings were flown in, um, uh, quite basic buildings, quite simple buildings, but they were flown in, um, erected very quickly by outside contractors. And over a period of time, um, things, things broke and those facilities were then out of use. So when we started working with Jogan Babu Ma, we had this building in our sites. We knew we should bring it back to life and it had a real a, a use to it. Um, but what we didn't want to replicate was a, a as an outside organization, as a as a non-Bangladeshi organization, we would just fix that building because we could see we could foresee that, that that would happen again later down the line. So we wanted to work with the community so they were able to repair it and and manage it as a group. And and how do how do you actually pick the project? Because it sounds like these communities would have many many projects. So how is the, how is the decision made on which projects you're going to focus on? Yeah, well, it all starts with the community, really. Um, but in, in this case, we'd already been working with the community for some time. Um, so the next phase, we always start with a needs assessment. So um, we gather baseline data. Um, we bring together a group. And we discuss those needs. As a group, we then try and um, create a hierarchy of what's needed. Um, and our overall goal is to support communal in this in this sense communal infrastructure rather than supporting one or two family members who are most at need so it's sort of what what can we do that will be most impactful for the many um in in this scenario and so it's not really us who comes up with the brief we are just there to facilitate the creation of that brief mm -hmm. um it's the community themselves that that drive that vision so they're deciding on which projects to mm -hmm. focus on correct i mean that's guiding, one of the yeah. Sorry. Yeah. One of the one of the things that um, is is great about Azuko is that we're flexible in that way. We're not an organization that only focuses on sanitation, water and hygiene, for example. Um, so that allows us to, to tap into the real needs of a community um, you know, if, if they touch on improving living conditions. Yeah, I, I love the the holistic approach that you're taking that it's not just architecture or construction, but you're actually going in and looking at the entire problem and and talking about training and, and construction and design and whatever else needs to happen. It's all being taken into account, which lets us leverage our skills as architects, right? I mean, as designers mm -hmm. and architects, we can take those, those ideas and do more with them than just design a building and build it and, and move on to the next step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we were speaking to one of the colleagues in our office today. We work in a mixed, a shared space. And he was saying that a lot of younger architects uh, that he knows are, are coming out of architecture school and feeling quite disengaged with 
with with the with the design process well a because it takes such a long time for buildings to get built um, and also a just kind of general disconnect from the user so he said people are going into user experience and user interface design um, which is interesting because that's ultimately just thinking about a it's there's an architectural of the kind of digital experience but maybe has nothing to do necessarily with uh, with what they're doing in 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 a, in a building but actually how are they being talked to um, who are they talking to who are they connecting with what's important to them um, what kind of words do they associate um, with with a quality or a meaningful experience which again like you're like you're saying mark's not the, the, the you know you, you, architects have the skills to be able to do that thing those things and have the experience and the training it's just a matter of kind of opening up the question about what is this experience we're trying to design for people. Yeah. I, and I think that's so important for all architects to, to consider that, that it's not just about buildings. It's the, the problem solving skills that we've been trained to, to, mm. to have, we can leverage that in so many different ways and, and affect so many more people and, and possibly even, uh, create a life for yourself. That's much more uh, enjoyable, much more, um, uh, beneficial to others. By taking mm -hmm. the thing that you're really good at, and it may not be designing buildings, but the skills that you've mm -hmm. been trained to, to have as an architect can be used in other ways and become really, really successful uh, yourself, as well as giving back to, to, the, mm -hmm. to the world at large. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean, traditionally, the international development sector has always shut the door on architects. Um, it's only in recent years that they're opening the door to designers and understanding that this design thinking or systems thinking is yeah. really relevant to problem solving. It's always been, but you know, without those, um, uh, without that change in mindset, I think for the for the sector, um, it's been a little bit difficult for architects and designers to to be a part of that conversation. Traditionally, it was logisticians, engineers, project managers, um, but now um, I think there's been a bit a bit of a shift in that thinking. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would love to leverage Entree Architect to do things like that to because we have a very large community now, um, and I think there's a lot of small firm architects that that clearly have those same skills that are, are looking for ways to solve individual problems so they can do you know mm -hmm. just focus on one project and say okay I can I can fix that project and then they fix that project and they give them the, some some guidance. And then they move on to, you know, going back to designing a house that they've just finished designing. Mm. Um, mm. I think it'd be great to sort of um, uh, take that, the idea of using the internet and using the, the, uh, the connections that we can form on the internet to solve these problems, uh, you know, by using, using the skills of individuals throughout the world. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, so we're getting, we're getting close to the end here, but I want to, I want to talk about, um, how you continue to do what you do because you got started with with a little bit of seed funding and some guidance um but now you're you're continuing you're building these projects how are these projects funded and how do you continue to fund the projects that you're doing yeah do you want to go please yeah well, well it's a mix i we i think we we have talked quite a bit about how we diversify and um, build a bit of resilience through through different funding streams so we've we've uh, some of our projects the the one in China in particular is funded by a, a grant uh, we've, we have individual donors um, corporate donors uh, we're also doing some fee paying work 
um, and design work, um, particularly in in London. Um, and yeah, I think just trying to think about think I guess more more strategically about how we communicate the the value that we have for organizations that that are supporting um, socially and economically deprived communities so housing associations um, well, which in the in the US I guess would be uh, some kind of social landlord um, local councils and and government bodies so um, Th them them becoming more interested in in the design process and design thinking we can tap into that as well um yeah and what, what am i missing no uh, that's correct for the last sort of um one to three years we've been very much a, a charitable model focusing on those streams mm -hmm. corporates grants uh, individual giving um, whereas increasingly we're starting to um, tap into income generating work because we do really think we have value to add to projects um, and, and we're trying to find a, a nice balance, a sweet spot between those two. So when, you, when you're talking about grants and donations, that takes a lot of time, right? That's fundraising. And so um, I, I would imagine that that's one of the major roadblocks for early uh, charities when you first start you need to spend a lot of time raising money and you're not you don't if it's just one or two of you how do you hmm. break up that time how much time are you spending on fundraising and how much time are you spending in, on the actual work that you want to do um i was having this conversation the other day what what is the right balance especially when um donors uh, a lot of donors expect you to be spending you know 90 percent of your time working on projects um but we i think we like to think that fundraising is part of what we do because it's not simply just bringing in money, it's also sharing what we do and how we do it. Fundraising and our marketing are totally interlinked. Um, and one of the things that we're set up to do, one of our charitable purposes, is to advocate and, and champion participatory design. Um, so we like to think of it a little bit differently. Mm. Um, uh, we're not just, we don't just have our begging bowl out to bring in funds so we can do, do our projects, mm. but it's sort of um, a little bit more holistic than that. Um, it's part of our outreach, really, part of our um, dissemination of, of these methods that we, we, we want to champion. Mm. And you're doing income generating work as well. So there's fee based work that's happening as well that helps fund it. Um, is that, that correct? I heard you say that. Yeah, yeah. I think what, well, particularly in London, you're, I think you're, you're starting to see organizations like local government teams are starting to see the value of, of, of understanding the needs of, of residents, understanding the needs of, of local service users, understand the needs of patients, um, and that being the basis for uh, quality designs and services. And um, so there's definitely, we, we definitely see a growing interest in the kind of human-centered process and um, participatory research, participatory design methods. So yeah, we're, we're, we are figuring out ways to better communicate that and uh, why we think that it's in, it's intimately linked to quality services and quality um, spaces. Yeah, I, I love that idea. The When people come to me, you know, students come to me with ideas that they, they want to, to do a nonprofit uh, or, or a charity, that's always my recommendation is, is to build a business first. Go build a, a, a 
a, a profitable business and then use the funds that come from that, a, a portion of those funds to start your venture um, mm. and and then have this create some sort of continuous sustainable income generation that continuously helps fund it. It may not fund the entire thing, mm. but it but it would help you. Uh, with some uh, continuous revenue. And when you go to uh, donors, you can say, well, look, we're already donating X number of dollars from our own pockets to make this happen. It may may make the fundraising part of things uh, easier. Mm. We see a lot of that sort of model uh, in different organizations. Um, a, an organization that has a for-profit arm and, an, and mm -hmm. a non-profit arm. Um, in in some ways that that makes things a little easier in some ways it also has its own challenges that comes along with it and because you're you're one has one sort of leads to the other and and, and where are you committed to et cetera, right you're et back to dividing your time again yeah yeah um but yeah we we have the the burden but also the challenge which can be a positive thing of, of having to fundraise as well yeah yeah, it's mm. fascinating, fascinating. Um, the work that you're doing, I love the the story of how it got started, how you keep it going. Um, what what's the future? What's your what are your plans for Azuko in the next couple of years? Mm. Well, we'd like to grow. I think our core team, um, so that we can take on more projects, bigger projects, um, work with more communities, have more impact. Um, we don't necessarily see ourselves as the next Oxfam with thousands of staff, but um, like a, a, a good core team um, so we can really support the communities that we're set up to support. So azuko.org is the website, A-Z-U-K-O.org. Um, is there any place else that our listeners can go and see some of the work that you're doing? Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. So, what's your Twitter? Uh, yeah, we, what are we? Um, Azuko underscore org, and we also have a Facebook page. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to email or message Joe and I. Yeah, please get in touch. Yeah, we're always happy to chat and share, and uh, also listen and uh, learn about what what other people are working on and their their interests and their hopes and their concerns. So definitely, if anybody's interested in uh, in learning more about Azuko, go to azuko.org or check them out on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, reach out to them and, uh, and and thank them for sharing some of their stories here today and inspiring you. Uh, before we wrap things up, Joe and Nathan, I'd love to uh, ask you my final question that I ask all my guests. Let's start with you, Joe. Um, hmm. what's, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think give back and, and not, I'm not entirely sure what that looks like. And I think it uh, looks different for different practices, but give back because um, the very act of giving, I think you, you gain so much. And um, so whether that's, you know, taking on one pro bono project a year and um, whether that's partnering with a architectural nonprofit. Um, but yeah, give back, share your services potentially for free. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a great one. I, sharing your knowledge is a, is a theme of mine. Every time someone hears me, they will hear me say to share your knowledge. And so yeah. giving back is, is if you if you don't, even if you don't give services, to just mm -hmm. share the, the knowledge that you have with someone else to help them get to the next step uh, is, is a great, a great suggestion. Nathan, what about you? 
Yeah, I think just in line with the Zuko, I think uh, really, really try to engage with whoever that person is that you're designing for and really try to listen and understand holistically what their what their needs are and what what's meaningful to them and i think being able to tell a a, a, a more a, a kind of a, a bigger story about who this person is and what's important to them um i think is is vital not just for built solutions but for um solving big social issues for creating businesses uh et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, Joe Ashbridge, Nathan Ardais, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing, first of all, for, for sharing your skills and your talents and your knowledge uh, with the communities that you do. Thank you for being here and sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Yeah, thanks for your help, Mark, and thanks for thanks having for us. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. I just want to share one more thing here before we wrap up the show. If you'd like to get in touch with Joe Ashbridge or Nathan Ardives over at Azuko, check them out at their email address. Their email is info at azuko.org. Go send them a note. Let them know that you heard them here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank them for sharing their knowledge and, uh, and ask them any questions you might have about putting together a nonprofit or how you can help them succeed in what they're doing. Info at azuko.org. And if you liked what we shared here today and find value in anything that we're doing here at Entree Architect, all I ask is one simple request. Share this episode or any episodes with a friend. This episode is entrearchitect.com slash episode 194. Tick tock, tick tock. 200's coming up. Entrearchitect.com slash episode 194 share that link with a friend and it's working i know that you're sharing because i'm watching the stats on this this show and we have seen some massive growth over this past year since i've been asking you to share it with just one friend if you've already shared it go share it with one other friend because it's working and i thank you for sharing uh, this podcast with your friends entrearchitect.com slash episode 194 for this episode and don't forget to go visit the podcast, not the podcast, go visit the website uh, at entrearchitect.com slash free course. Go right there, free course, and get your free profit course and learn how to build a profitable architecture firm for free. entrearchitect.com slash free course. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect Love, learn, share what you know, share it with the world, share it today, every day. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? 
Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.